Welcome back to Everyday Holiness, a Faith in D podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and we're glad to have you with us for this podcast where we explore the lives and faith of those people in the Notre Dame family, especially as it relates to their mentors in faith, important decision moments, and where they find their universal call to holiness. So I'm pleased to be joined this week by Tammy Schmitz. Tammy is the Associate Director of Pastoral Care in Campus Ministry here on campus. So Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. Glad to have you. We'll start at the beginnings of your life. Where are you from? What was your upbringing like? Sure. I am from a small town called Forestville, Wisconsin, population 435, (laughs) so very small. It's um, about an hour outside of Green Bay. I was from a farming family. I'm the youngest of six, and I don't want to say think of Mayberry, but that's probably the (laughs) closest thing in that um, my dad was the village president, and everyone knew each other, and it was just a wonderful truly just kind of a wonderful childhood growing up in that kind of setting. We were all expected to chip in on the farm and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I have three older brothers and two older sisters. And yeah, my mom stayed at home and raised us um, while my dad was working the farm. Mm. For those listeners who have heard a lot of these episodes, there's some. There must be some connection between farming and holiness, because through no through no effort of my own, we've had a lot of people who've grown up on farms. Um, so that's that's so great to hear. What was unique about life in Wisconsin that that you really came to appreciate? Yeah, those folks that have come to know me over the years here at Notre Dame know that. I kind of bleed green and gold for Mm -hmm. the Green Bay Packers. Uh (laughs) Um, I do have a lot of Wisconsin pride in me just because what was unique, again, being from a small town, there was just an innate goodness, I would say, that that I was raised with, with our neighbors and our family, our extended family, aunts and uncles, all kind of lived in that same area. So I knew nothing other than kind of the simple life and just enjoying kind of a slower pace, if you will, compared to what I came to know as I grew older and moved away. So it just kind of instilled some very simple and grounded values in me from early on. And our church was, you know, four miles away up on a hill, the red brick, only Catholic church in that area Mm -hmm. that we would all gather. And we knew everyone, even though we were public school kids, Mm -hmm. all of us went to the Catholic school. So it was just uh, simple. I didn't think much more beyond that thought of what it was like beyond those fields of green that I surrounded us. Yeah. What were some of the important faith moments in your childhood that have stuck with you even to this point in your life? I would say no matter what, we always went to Mass on the weekend. And mm-hmm. we were, because we were farmers, we actually went to Saturday night Mass at 7.30. That was um, my whole life growing up, which yeah. seemed a little strange, but Dad would get in from the fields on, on Saturday and We'd have dinner, shower up, and and we'd end our our week with going to Mass. And so that just kind of was the rhythm of our day. So there's no matter what, no matter what would be going on in the weekends, if we had other plans for Saturday night as we were teenagers and that, we all went to Mass first of all. So it just was a priority. So that would be a very important faith experience. Also, I just, I have kind of these memories of my religious education and formation was CCD mm-hmm. on Wednesday nights. So no matter what was happening, there were no other sporting events. We <laughs> couldn't be in place, whatever. Even the schools would not were not allowed to have any activities. Wednesday night was religion night. Mm-hmm. And so my friends and I would be, it was just a normal part of our bringing up that that's what we do through high school. I remember that. Mm-hmm. So again, just this kind of, it, it just kind of fit into the context of our lives. It wasn't like, okay, now oh, I got to go to church or it was just outside. It was just kind of what we did. Yeah. So it was very integrated, I would say. Mm-hmm. In that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people have reflected about how when it's interwoven, it doesn't seem remarkable. It just seems normal in terms of, of this is who we are and this is what we do. How did you begin to take ownership of that for yourself when you get to that point where this is who my family is, but this is also who I am? I would say the game changer for me was college. I went to St. Norbert College, which is a Catholic 
liberal arts school right outside of Green Bay in De Pere, Wisconsin, run by the Norbertine Fathers. And I, as I said, had never gone to a Catholic school before. I picked it not because necessarily it was Catholic, but it was close to home. Mm-hmm. It was an hour mm-hmm. away. And I heard great things about it. I had visited there a couple of times. Anyway, so when I got there, I was a sociology major as a freshman and was going to be a social worker and save the world that way and that. <laughs> but as I went through the college, I came to know something called campus ministry, which I never encountered before. And a couple of the Norbertine priests who were my theology professors who ran, who also ran campus ministry were amazing. A couple of the lay people that were on the campus ministry staff really were inspirational to me. And I also, at St. Norbert, social justice and service was part of campus ministry. And I actually, that was really the spark that got me going is we did a lot of volunteering, did a lot with the homeless, both in Green Bay, but also in different cities. So it just, all of a sudden, my passion for social work and that began to be rooted in my faith. So Mm -hmm. by the time I was a senior, where I thought, oh, I'll just do social work and I'll go to church on Sundays and that'll be my, my faith stuff, I was like, I I want to do f- service because of my faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what we call ministry. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my gosh. So that's what, I would just say how I was formed through the people and the leaders in that at St. Norbert, I really, and anyone who knows me again knows, I really have a special place for St. Norbert in my heart because of what it gave me in terms of my faith development. Yeah. And I would imagine that not too many in our audience are familiar with the Norbertines. Could you give us a sense of who they are, what is their charism, what was attractive about their life to you? Yeah, the Norbertines are what they're called the canons regular. They, um, If you see their habits, it's white with a little hood on the back, a okay. mini hood. It's because they are contemplative in that they, so that the hood kind of is the symbol of monks or, mm-hmm. or prayer and contemplative life, as well as the habit is just the working habit of the, of the priest. So they were kind of contemplatives in action, if you will. They were founded by St. Norbert, and they came over to De Pere, Wisconsin, where there's an abbey there. There's an abbey in Orange County, California, and an abbey in Dalesford, Delaware. And we are the only place that has a college, St. Norbert College. Charism, St. Norbert was known for his devotion to the Eucharist and also for his homilies were inspirational. Mm. So Mm. you will see him always pictured usually with a monstrance Mm. in that he kind of defended when things were, where people were anti-Eucharist or really trying to um, crucify us for believing in the Eucharist and and taking masses to the outer skirts of town in that in Premontre, France, that's the area they were founded in. He would be very devotional to the Eucharist and say we need to to keep that at the heart of who we are as Christians. So, So those are kind of things so the charisms also they education was a huge also besides parishes education was um, a huge factor so most of the parishes had schools high schools they ran as well Hmm. yeah that's really helpful thank you for that i think relationships in college are so important because they can help us understand who we are as we're away from our family a lot of the times what were some of the important relationships in college that helped cultivate this desire for doing something deeper than social work, but to have it grounded in your faith, as you said. Yes, I have to thank Roger Vandenbush. He was a Norbertine priest at the time. Mm-hmm. He was my scripture teacher my very first semester. And, you know, you, every, you had to take either a scripture class or a theology class, some kind of religion. And so I just signed it just by dumb luck. He was an excellent teacher made the scripture come alive like I had never known it to be. And um, I also sought counsel from him outside. So we would meet, and I'd be talking to him about what I was learning and engaging in. And later on, you know, at the end of the year, he's like, Tammy, you know, what we were just doing when we'd meet outside of class, that's called spiritual direction. Hmm. I, you know, I didn't even know that. Right. But I knew it was important to me, and it was, and he was such a great listener, and funny and all that. And so I would say that was a very key relationship in my life there. Also, I had a sociology professor who I had, again, my first semester, you can tell, was a very great experience Mm -hmm. that that laid good groundwork for me. 
was Dr. Benton. And why I loved him is he loved sociology. He was from England, so he had a cool accent. Um, <laughs> not like a Wisconsin accent. Um, but he just was so engaging. And every comment we would give in class, he'd say, very interesting, very interesting. And he would just get us excited and say, you know, oh, I can contribute. So mm. he, I would say got me interested, kept me interested in academics and learning and that the classroom could be a really great place for engaging students in whatever their ideas and thoughts were. So I would say in terms of professors and that, those two come to mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helpful to hear. And it makes you think about, we often talk about mentors of faith and professional mentors, but the way we can affect other people positively. And sometimes we don't even know it, that we're just being ourselves, and yet this is really having a deep impact on on the people we interact with. Definitely. Well, good. At the end of college, you talked about this desire to maybe do ministry in a more explicit way. How did that play out in those early years after college? The early years after college, I, you know, so I graduated, if you think, you know, I was a sociology major looking for a ministry <laughs> job. Uh, what was I thinking? And but I was blessed to get a job right near St. Norbert College at a St. at a Norbertine parish. Okay, they, they knew me. I had done volunteer. I was a catechist there. Sure. So I became a DRE. That's at 22 of a parish of a of a religious ed program of about 500 kids. I was overwhelmed, but had some great mentors at the parish, and so spent my days recruiting catechists and trying to build a program there that was meaningful from kindergarten through eighth grade mm. and then eventually high school. So for the first couple of years was just in, I would say, in the trenches yeah. with learning all the families and all that kind of thing. So the parish work boots on the ground was really important. Mm -hmm. From that, I spent the next four years teaching at Xavier High School in Appleton. I was able to kind of put together enough to get hired as a campus minister slash religion teacher there. Okay. Very important to me. Again, very much in the trenches, taking 150 kids on a retreat, loading the buses, doing all that you do for each grade level. Plus, really, as I mentioned before, social justice was really important to me. And this is where you know, I was able to take students to the Dominican Republic because the Green Bay Diocese had a mission there. So mm -hmm. that was part of my job. It was amazing. I loved being a campus minister at the high school, poured my heart and soul into that. And and I also was teaching. And so I remember at one point, the principal of Xavier walked in and he to, uh, I was there, it was late night. He goes, okay, Tammy, I think we need to make a decision here, campus ministry or teaching, because yeah. both kind of were exploding at the time mm. in a good way. And I began to think campus ministry. I really, I love the classroom, but I really love what being called the campus ministry. Again, I felt that. So that clarity came to me there where I went, I think this is what I want to do. And at that point, then the next phase was St. Norbert had an opening hmm. and had contacted me and said, you know, would you be interested in coming back to the old alma mater here? And I had not finished my master's degree. So okay. I was just in the middle of it. So long story short, I got hired at St. Norbert to go back to be the pastoral associate there, taking the place of a couple of the woman who I loved when I was there. So yeah. it was just a really cool connection. However, I did work on my master's, got my master's at Loyola in the meantime in the summers and spent six years working in campus ministry at St. Norbert, mm. doing a variety of Again, each thing kind of, as I look back on it, Dan, I feel kind of um, help me go to the next step, like the high school, right. <laughs> and a, or the parish, then the high school, and then a small liberal arts college. And then when I saw an opportunity for Notre Dame, I didn't realize how well prepared I was I see. for that next step. Yeah, that you'd seen so many phases of the life of faith of young people, you know, starting from kindergarten all the way through college. I can imagine, as a, as a former DRE, I was after grad school in that, but at 22 years old, my goodness, that would be a lot. So how did you, what did you learn about yourself from this moment where you're feeling overwhelmed, but then all of a sudden you're finding your groove in, in these successive stops along the way? In the middle of it, I, I was like, I've always been a person, to be honest with you, I love wherever I'm at. Uh -huh. I just, and not... I mean, authentically, I really mean that. I just 
have learned, I just appreciate it. And maybe that's from my parents, again, because we just had a pretty simple life. We just, you just appreciate what you have and mm-hmm. give your whole heart to wherever you're at. So even though the parish at age 22 was really a hard job, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I still have relationships, friendships from with some of the families from then because yeah. I just loved it. And I began, all I knew is my life needed to be, I couldn't do ministry on the side, like just be a volunteer at a parish. Mm. What got ingrained in me each step of the way was, no, you're really called to ministry and mm-hmm. your your vocation is to always have faith be integrated in your daily life and job. So, and no one kind of named that for me. I just kind of made that happen. It felt at home for me. Mm-hmm. It gave my life meaning to do not just good work teaching or, or, you know, feeding the hungry with the students at my side, but to do it in a faith context was what mattered to me. And so daily mass when I was a student was important to me. Like some of those practices that helped me develop my faith life really, again, helped me integrate and give me a solid grounding for doing the service I I was. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. In that kind of young adulthood, when you show an interest in ministry and making decisions about your life, were there any discernment moments where you thought, well, maybe God is calling me to religious life, or maybe God is calling me to this full-time ministry. What if God's calling me to marriage? How did you kind of reconcile some of those discernment moments during those early years in your 20s when a lot of those questions are flying around? Yeah. And to be honest, I think they still are flying around. <laughs> I'm still discerning <laughs> some of that's those. That's a lesson. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It doesn't end. But yeah, that's okay. That means the Holy Spirit's still alive and kicking. Just a Maybe a side note or tangent, a couple important things also that happened in my personal life. My dad was diagnosed with liver cancer when I was 22. Okay. And wow. he, it went pretty fast. And he was this healthy farming guy who was always out in the fields. And I actually was, I came to Notre Dame for summer school, a couple yeah. summers, just to get some theology. If you remember, I graduated from with sociology and I thought, oh my gosh. And here I was teaching religion and that. So I actually came to summer school here at um, Notre Dame I just see. to get some theology background. And the first summer I came, my dad um, that May had been diagnosed with liver cancer and ended up dying by the end of that August. It was wow. very fast. Wow. So I would say two things on that. I mean, of course, I'd give anything to have my dad back. And, and it was so early because he was only 65. Mm. But what I would say is to see my parents live their marriage till death do us part was an amazing thing to see too. My mom, you know, care for him and all that. And then secondly, boy, you get, (laughs) I got an early sense of life is short. Mm. You never know. Mm -hmm. And even digging further into make the most out of things. So I would say that was kind of my, my thing. Another thing in terms of my faith life, I have to say, if we can go back a little bit to my childhood, I forgot to mention this, but it does play into it. When I was when I was four, my oldest brother, Mark, was killed in a car accident, oh and he was 21. Wow. And so, I mean, that's part of our dynamic with our family. I, I'm kind of the oops baby, if you will. Okay. I was When I was born, my parents were in their 40s. My next oldest brother was six years old, hmm. older than me. And yeah. so they all remembered Mark and had this experience with him. And I barely remembered him. He was my godfather. And so, but I'll never forget when I was 16, I went on the infamous confirmation retreat that right. we all have to go on, right. mostly in Catholic school. Anyway, so we're in Catholic church, and I got a letter from my parents at the time, and in it, they wrote to me the most, this would be, if your house is burning, what would you grab? This would be what I would grab. Yeah, yeah. The letter from them that said, Tammy, you know, when Mark died, we were devastated. I mean, there's, you know, no words, but however, you were being a four-year-old at the time, you just brought such joy and antics of a four-year-old, yeah. of your, just the joyfulness and that. And we just feel that God gave you us in a way, and, and we don't know what we would have done without you reminding us of the joy in life. And and I remember reading that letter going, oh man, what, what a profound gift I just got of an insight of maybe 
my purpose in life mm. is joyful and to give joy and hope. And that even when I didn't even know I <laughs> was supposed to be doing that, yeah. I was. And so, again, I just beckon back to that because then when my dad died, again, another reminder, life is short. We need to be signs of hope and joy and continue to, to do that. So that's been a profound kind of thing through my life here. So in terms of discernment, when I was, when I had graduated from college, like I mentioned, the Norbertines had a very big influence in my life. And there were no Norbertine sisters, but I have yeah. to be honest, I did ponder the Norbertine religious life, met with the abbot at the time, saying they had some in Europe and some in California that were thinking of starting an order in California, okay. actually. Okay. So I did a little discernment, and we actually had a vocation come and see weekend with women from around the country that had been touched by the Norbertines in different ways in their life. And I'm glad we did it. It was a little bit scary. And I like I was about 23, 24 at the time. And I'm glad I did it. But it was kind of became clear to me that that was not my calling, Mm -hmm. even though I have an aunt who's a Franciscan sister. I'm not afraid of religious life at all. We celebrate that in my family. But I just decided that I, I, I feel called to either continue to live the single life or I'm always still open to marriage as mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. and whatever God may call me to that. Mm-hmm. But so the community life, I, I would say I pondered a bit, but that didn't seem to be the right exact fit from what I was looking for and still am. So Yeah. Well, I think that's encouraging that you pursued it because sometimes the fear can grip people that, well, if I even mention... I might be interested in this. It's like I'm signing on the dotted line somewhere. And really what it's about is coming to understand yourself and who God is calling you to be. And whether it's a retreat or dating relationship or trying different aspects of a career or ministry, all these pieces are the building blocks of discernment that kind of help us in the future. So did you find that to be the case? Yes. And that's a great way to put it is building blocks in terms of, you know, I think when we discern, you have to really look, how are, how are you wired? You know, mm-hmm. and I was wired, as I mentioned, part of it's just how I think I was made from God, but also influenced from my family and that along the way is I just am wired to have a heart that loves lots of people, you know, and even to this day, I, sure. I do wonder if I had a marriage, it would be, have to have someone that could hold that too, yeah. you know, and that yeah. might be a little selfish on my part. I don't mean that to be, but I'm wired to, I just, I get joy and love and passion from loving a variety and different people and having the freedom to do that sure. in terms of sharing their life and accompanying them in their their life's journeys. That's how I'm, I would say, how I'm wired. And I thought that was how everyone was wired, <laughs> to be honest with you, until different people pointed out and said, no, Tammy, that's you, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and we each have that and, and, and stuff. And not that I don't want to sound like it's Pollyanna. It's hard at times. It's lonely at times, of course, and, and things like that. And there are dark nights of the soul that we have. But, but overall, I feel like, I feel that that's what's helped me be kind of the minister and the woman in the church that I am. Sure, sure. Well, that definitely plays into it. I think we're all called to holiness, obviously, with the podcast. We're all called to love, but in what way? And that's part of discernment is figuring out in what way we're called to love. And sometimes that means there's a breadth to that, and then other times there's a depth to that. And it depends on the vocation that we have and that we discover along the way. So once you came back to St. Norbert's and you were in this place of, you know, someone you'd looked up to, and now you were doing her role. What what was encouraging about that? What was intimidating about doing something like that? Yeah, part of it, I'm going to tell you something, that happened to me in terms of my ministry is the person that was the pastoral associate at the time was a homilist. She'd actually give mm-hmm. like reflections or homilies mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. if you will, sure. at mass. Uh-huh. And, you know, sometimes the post-communion, but to be honest, sometimes she was allowed to do the homily, if you will. And so I thought, well, and they, that was expected of me then. Oh, like, wow. All of a sudden, people started asking, well, Tammy, when are you going to preach? And I'm like, <laughs> what? And it was not it was not in the job description. And I, I never, ever saw myself as a preacher. Okay, you know, yeah. I, I, I gave witness talks on retreats sure. and things. I was a teacher, so I could, you know, use that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And the parish council actually invited me to one of their meetings and just said, we think it's really important that we have a woman's voice at some some of our gatherings, our prayer services uh-huh. and our 
post-communion things. And again, I had never done that before. Yeah. So I, and I had some very kind Norbertine colleagues that said, well, we'll help you, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I actually went to St. John's in Collegeville and took a preaching class huh. one summer. That was very helpful, came back. And so I would preach once a month, mm-hmm. at, you know, like do a post-communion thing. Yeah. And, and it taught me how important having a leadership voice was because mm-hmm. they could hear my thoughts and would, and I would, after mass, instead of just talking like the usual, it would engage in, you know, maybe some of the things I had talked about. So anyway, mm-hmm. those were the kinds of things that was challenging because it called me to be, use gifts in that, that I didn't even think I had. Uh-huh. So yeah, I can imagine that would be could be a challenge, especially if you're not used to doing something like that. In terms of your kind of what you were doing with students in those days, what were some of those tasks and what did you learn about people in college, maybe a few years removed from college that you hadn't realized before? Yeah, I loved and obviously I still do love working with college students. Mm. I feel called to that. Again, the high school and the parish were great, but when I went back to St. Norbert, it was my aha moment. I yeah. loved working with 18 to 22 years particularly. It was where they're at, their faith. And again, we were doing everything from the catechetics. You know, like we, we, we taught in the area schools, so I had a, or area um, Catholic schools and stuff. We also, social justice was real big, so helping them, taking immersion trips to Chicago, South Side, doing these things great memories I've had of aha moments of students having incredible experiences of faith on these different ministries that we did. And mm-hmm. I just love it. And then just walking with them through their relationships and not so great decisions sometimes they would make <laughs> socially, all these kinds of things. And just hopefully being kind of a steady person that I, similar to what I've had mentors in my life. And mm. just, I love that. And just knew that I, I love this age group so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is such a rich time of life when often people are embarking on their life away from home for the first time, having to make some big choices and make some big decisions about I'm pursuing this and that means I can't pursue that and working through obviously the relationship. So there's, there is a, a richness there that I think is, uh, is fascinating. How did that lead eventually to coming to Notre Dame to work? I've got kind of a funny story, of course, to that. So I was at St. Norbert finishing my sixth year and thinking, ah, it's a time for a change. Okay. Because there there was a team of five of us, a jack of all trades, master of none, a lot of work. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. Open up America Magazine, the Jesuit magazine, uh-huh. saw an ad for a campus minister at the University of Notre Dame. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Could I ever do work there, you yeah. know, because that was like the mothership of, you know, campus <laughs> ministries. I'm like, oh, man. And then it said contact. And the funny story is it said contact Father Jim Lease, okay. CSC. And I'm sure many of you know who Jim Lease is. <laughs> A quick story about Jim Lease. He and I met when I was a junior. He was a hall director at St. Norbert College. Oh, we met wow. for one year. He huh. was Jim Lease, and he was, and then he stayed for one year and got at that point got in the master's program. We had a counseling master's degree here at Notre Dame, and he went into that. So we literally crossed paths junior year, St. Norbert back in the eighties, and. We hit it off because we we did retreat work together. He was involved in campus ministry. So it was so fun. So we kind of kept in touch. So this now is almost 10 years later. I did not know he became a Holy Cross priest. We had, to, you know, it was so funny. I we once in a while had crossed paths from different people. Did you hear about Jim Lee's? Now he's at, you know, Notre Dame. Blah blah blah. I'm like, yeah. So then I'm like, call Father Jim Lee. So I call him, and at the time, I didn't know he was the rector of Zom. Okay. So I call him, and I leave this very formal, <laughs> hello, Reverend Lease. This is Tammy <laughs> Schmitz. Not sure if you remember me. We crossed paths, you know. I but I saw this ad, you're the contact. I just have a few questions. If you would be so kind as to call me when you have a chance, whenever you can, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So leave that message. And next thing I get a call, Schmitz. It's Lease, what are you talking about? You know, just this hilarious, you know, like we never, you know, skipped a beat. Right. So long story short, I came out for the interview and I was intimidated as heck mm-hmm. by the quality and this of the 
campus ministers and this whole place. Like I said, I'd come to summer school here yeah. for a couple classes. That was it. But I had not really got the blue and gold mm-hmm. thing, if you mm-hmm. will. Yeah. And it got the job. And I said, I'm going to come for three years because, okay. as I told you, I bleed you know, green and gold, and I was not going to leave Wisconsin right. for more than that. And okay. so I was like, I'm just going to come here, do a little, get a little changing, and I'll come back and see what else I can do in Wisconsin. Well, I've, I'm in my 23rd year. <laughs> God had other plans. So God had other plans, and it's, yeah, it's been just an amazing ministry journey here yeah. at Notre Dame. Your family is so important to you, and obviously you lived through some of these tragedies of the death of your brother and your dad. Was that hard for them and for you even to come to Notre Dame and ex- experience some of that distance that is inherent in that? Yes, and thanks for asking that, because it was, I almost didn't take the job, okay. because I did not want to move that far away. I am like five and a half hours away, depending on Chicago traffic, right? right? And my mom at the time was in her 70s and we were very close you know we, you know i was kind of taking care of her and i only lived like 45 minutes from her and my whole family all of them were like go <laughs> Okay. You know, like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. My right. mentors, the Norbertines, who are like, go, tongue-in-cheek, go be with Holy Cross, give them a, tr- <laughs> you know, a shot. But we're so proud, like, going, this is an opportunity. So people, this is the other thing about discernment. You know, deep down, you want to, you know, your own interior life and your gifts and what is there. But thank God for people in our lives that know us so well and sometimes they know what's better for us than we know ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this was one of those moments. I swear I wouldn't have left. I mm. swear I would have stayed there because I got scared. It was too far. This seemed like such a big jump. And again, thank God for folks who knew me so well and for my family to say, you need to go. This is for the good of the church, for the good of yourself. And and I have not looked back. Yeah. Well, that's so important when we're thinking about any kind of discernment or decision point to talk to the people who love us the most and and want the best for us and who know us so well because they can help us filter out some of that fear or the negative feedback that might be holding us back from doing doing the thing that God is is calling us to do. So once you got here in those early years at Notre Dame, what were some of the things that you were doing in campus ministry? And again, what did you learn about yourself in those days? My first job here, it was for the first 13 years, was RCIA. And truth be told, I had never done RCIA before. I had taken a class in sacramental you know, preparation and, yeah. and in RCIA a little bit, but at St. Norbert, we had one person go through RCIA when I was there, and I wasn't even in charge of the formation of that young man. So I was a little overwhelmed, mm-hmm. but I've had some great mentors here that helped and said, okay, let's do this. The first year, I will never forget, we had 42 catechumen and candidates. <laughs> D- <laughs> Diving in the deep end. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I have to mention Brett Perkins being one of them. And, and okay. Brett Perkins, long story short, so that was in 1998, 99, my uh-huh. first year here, is now a colleague of mine and one of my dearest friends. And he, he was a sophomore at the time going through our, our CIA and, you know, just as God works, you know, yeah. that we would end up this way. So, but... So 42, and I was like, oh my gosh. And so talk about learning on the (laughs) fly there. But again, you have the folks in the Basilica, you have the campus minister folks I had, you have the quality of students. And I remember, you know, maybe a month into it, I was like, what am I doing? And I called a dear friend of mine back, who was a teacher friend of mine at Xavier when I taught. I mentioned I taught at Xavier, and she was a colleague in the religion department. I'm like, Barbara. I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, these students, their their faith lives are in my hand, you know. And mm. I just, I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. And and she's just like Tammy, if you love people's stories and you love the church, our CIA is the perfect place for you. Mm. And I know you. You love people's stories. You love the church. Trust that, and you will do it. And I'll never. And I hearken back on those words, and I've used those words for people who've come after me doing sure. RCA at Notre sure. Dame. It was the most. I loved that job. Mm-hmm. I loved RCIA, mm-hmm. and you know, Easter. 
I I always said, you know, I always went home for every holiday and that. And if I couldn't be with my family, which I couldn't be at Easter because right. I was here, <laughs> there's no other place I'd rather be than to be here on Easter with these folks coming into the church and yeah. stuff. So, so that was part of my journey there. And then the last 10 years I've had, I'm still in campus ministry the whole time, but just different needs have arisen and different things have been asked of me in terms of leadership and that sure, that I've sure. been trying to respond to. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, we've talked on the podcast before with other guests of the Easter Vigil and seeing people enter into the church and what a boost that gives to us, those of us who are already Catholic, to see people taking ownership of that. I imagine that was just really life-giving and inspiring for you in those years doing the RCIA. Yes. So I do want to turn then to Holy Cross, because you came from a diocesan context growing up, and then the Norbertines, but then you encountered Holy Cross, obviously in a very intimate way, being kind of co-workers in the vineyard of this ministry here. What have you come to know and love about the Congregation of Holy Cross? Yeah, I, oh man, how long is this podcast? I know, yeah. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I have been so blessed and I realize this because not every lay person, particularly lay women, have had the experience I've had in our church, yeah. you know, in terms of who's been, as you said so well, the, the co-worker in the vineyards. I've had incredible co-workers with Holy Cross. A couple of years ago, they invited me to give a talk to the seminarians at their opening retreat in August. And I took, it gave me, this is like two years ago, it gave me pause to really think, okay, what does Holy Cross mean to me? And what do I want to say after working with them for 20 years? Yeah. And these young, you know, there's like, there's like 50 seminarians there. And I just, the best metaphor or image I could come up with is the Holy Cross has been a best friend, like a dear friend. It's been with me through my the deaths of some of my loved ones Mm -hmm. you know jim lease was the presider at my mother's funeral for Mm -hmm. example or when i've had to make big decisions along the way there's always been a holy cross priest friend who's kind of walked with me through Mm -hmm. discernment and those kinds of things you share your life together so what has holy cross so so in a very um kind of casual way they're the friendships i've gained from one-on-ones with some of these wonderful men but also in terms of mission, I I really love the mission of Avikruk Spazunica. As I mentioned, I I feel like I've been destined from early on to be a person of hope. So yeah, right. you know that it just <laughs> kind of fit here. And so I remember Brett Perkins, Ali Steiner, and I took a group. Took it was the first student group that took a pilgrimage to Le Mans, mm-hmm. and we met John Deriso there. Yeah, and. It was an amazing trip to walk in the steps of Basil Moreau, of course, and mm-hmm. Father Soren, and mm-hmm. all that. It was life, again, it kind of, it was like 15 years into my ministry here, but I kind of went, aha, this is, you know, where the founder came from, and to understand his his vision, and that was amazing. So, so I've gained an appreciation for what the vision of, of Holy Cross was from Basil Moreau's view as well. I also, I'm, I'm so old here, I've been here so long, so many of my, my the seminarians, I, I was their supervisor, like when they were in the MDivs, because yeah. they would do their RCIA placements sure. and do things like that, so I was their supervisor. Well, now, Pete McCormick is my boss, Jerry Ollinger <laughs> is VP of Student Affairs. I mean, yeah. it's just so funny. These are young men who I was able to kind of walk with during their formation, yeah. now to see them in their leadership roles is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So. If you can tell, I just there's just a lot of layers to my experience with Holy Cross. I'm on the interview team for I'm the, one of the lay interviewers for s- potential seminarians. Right. So I love having that opportunity to kind of meet these young men who feel called and kind of have a say in in, in, in feedback into what I feel might be hopefully helpful feedback for yeah. if they should continue into the formation or yeah. not. Those kinds of things. I I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a a beautiful sentiment, and it's great to think about the influence that you've likely had in the lives of these Holy Cross priests and brothers as they go on to do their ministry, um, hearkening back to to what you taught them as well. You've seen a lot, I'm sure, in your time here at Notre Dame. 
How have students changed and how has the approach of campus ministry changed over the course of your years here? Yeah, that's, oh, I ponder that a lot, Dan, because, well, part of it's post-COVID. We're trying to also get a grip on how to best meet the needs because even just in the last year, they've right. changed. But when my trajectory, like you're saying, like over two decades, like my colleague, like, like Kate Barrett and some of us who've been here for that long are able to kind of look back and kind of share in this kind of conversation mm-hmm. and saying the early years, I would say, of me was very casual, much more like students had time. Honestly, I think mm-hmm. time is a huge factor mm-hmm. because they seem so busy now that before faith just seemed like a natural integrated thing, like going on a weekend retreat was not a huge deal. Okay. It, you weren't fighting with a whole lot. So I think this, the lifestyle of the students has changed and that impacts with that. I also feel like deep down there has the faithful students there's still a hunger there to know god they're at notre dame mm-hmm. for the majority of them that that there is a reason why they're at the a faith-based institution like notre dame and so it's so fun to be able to talk with them and to help continue to accompany them so in some ways it hasn't changed that's what happened 20 years ago yeah. kids still hunger for faith in their lives and god and desire that right now i would say technology stress anxiety those things that we kind of hear in the news culturally Uh it's here yeah but i am it makes me ever more convinced how important it is to offer what the gospel has Mm -hmm. to offer in terms of meaningful lives and lives of service and love and forgiveness it's just we have to package it and we're trying to figure out how to if you will package it in a way that is engaging and enticing so our students trust us and trust the church. Mm-hmm. That not, that was not there so much. There was an, almost like a natural trust in that way back, you know, a couple decades ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's important to be responsive to the changing needs of, of the time and, and to be able to, you know, this new evangelization with each gener- generation to help explain that. I do want to return to this aspect of of losing your mom because you talked about that was one of your hesitations for coming to Notre Dame in the first place is that you were close to your mom and yet you were here when she passed away. Can you give us some insight into those days and especially how you felt supported by the community here in those in that time? Oh wow, that Dan is one of the most tender moments of my life. And um, sorry if I get a little choked up here. That's and fine. Um, because it, it, it taught me a lesson, I think, as a supervisor here, because I was treated so well. Father Warner, Father Dick Warner was my boss at the time. Mm-hmm. And my mom, she had lung cancer and a few other complications. And if you remember, I live about, you know, up in dark, dark counties where I'm from. And so my sister was, she was in, my mom was in a home. And as it got toward the end, she had lung cancer. So it was trying to touch and go, like she'd have good weeks and bad weeks. So I didn't say for six months, I would bring my funeral clothes home with me because I didn't know if it would be the last time. It was yeah. that kind of thing. Okay. And so I had to talk to Father Warner and he just would say, go. Hmm. I'm, you know, I was running RCA at the time. I was doing a million things. He's like, go. And so it's different things that were really important to me. I'm in my, at my sister's house, which is out in the middle of this beautiful field in Wisconsin, kind of nowhere. Phone rings. And my sister comes in. There's a Father Warner on the phone for you. You mm. know, because we didn't have, I didn't even have a cell phone back then. Okay. And he's, and he just was checking up on me. You know, just how you doing? Take whatever time you need. Next thing, we see a FedEx truck pull in a couple days later with a package. I'm like, from Notre Dame. I look, Father Ed Obermiller, who used to be here, you know, I believe mm-hmm. is at Portland, mm-hmm. um, who I got to know here when he was working here in vocations. And was he was, here's just some prayer books and some things that, that might give you some comfort as you're sitting with your family. Mm. I, <laughs> mm. I was like, what? You know, so thoughtful. Yeah. So I came back and she hadn't passed yet. I was here and I thought, you know, I'm going to be the one in my family to, that needs to plan the funeral, okay. you know. So I remember going to Old College. Jerry Ollinger was the head of Old College at the time uh-huh. and him sitting with me. And we literally just, 
he just listened to me talk about my mom and helped me find the right gospel for mm-hmm. her funeral. Mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget at the funeral, people being there, making the trek up there, you know, yeah. Pete McCormick and Jim and Bill Lees and just these folks who just really were there. And then that's the, I'm talking about Holy Cross community, but sure. then the campus ministry community were as present, if not more mm. um, physically at the funeral, but also as I walked what did I need? And just being there. I'll never, one of the most touching times is when I came back. It's always overwhelming to walk back into you know the office after that. And I came at night, the night before I was going to come back to work just to kind of look at my mail and that. And there's just one little card sitting at my on my desk and I opened it and it just had Tammy written on the front of it. And I it opened up a sympathy card and just said, you are in my thoughts and prayers. Your family has been in my heart and that. And it was from Denise, our housekeeper of Como. Mm. It's things like that where I just, this was family, yeah. you know. Yeah, that this community rallies around each other, especially in times of crisis. This, this aspect of giving yourself to a lot of people I think is an important part of campus ministry as you think about the thousands of students that are here. Of course, the danger there is is getting burned out and spreading yourself too thin. How do you strike that balance of trying to be really present to students, to minister to them, and then realizing when you've got to care for yourself as well? Dan, we could be millionaires if we... (laughs) find the key to finding balance of this crazy ministry and then you know our families and our lives outside of the work no i jokingly say as i got older i self-care became more important Mm -hmm. you know just because energy gets a little slower but um a key to me has been spiritual direction Mm -hmm. i've like I mentioned, Roger Vandenbush, the Norbertine priest, who was my spiritual director when I didn't even know it back in college. Yeah. Ever since then, I realized the importance of that. So having a spiritual director, a place once a month that I can kind of look in the mirror with mm-hmm. God, um, what's going on, has been a total key for me. And so that's important in keeping prayer, a steady prayer life in that. So that's truly like you can't give what you don't have. So I need... So to me, to refuel the, the spiritual well is important. It's also important for me to just have fun. I'm mm-hmm. into pickleball these days. <laughs> People know. I was a runner. I ran the Chicago Marathon a couple, you know, a decade ago, you know. So I would do, I always found like fun things to do, hiking yeah. and that and keeping up with my friends across, mostly even in Wisconsin, St. Norbert friends, you know, where have been my lifetime friends have been really important to me sure. too. So it's, it isn't easy, but it's really important to really feed yourself both, you know, me spiritually, but also just with fun stuff as well. That's just enjoyable mm-hmm. and take delight in that mm-hmm. too. Watching the Packers. Watching, uh, so, oh yeah. my gosh, well, that was a given. <laughs> that's right. Most Sundays, most yeah, Sundays. Right. <laughs> I, I want to hit on one other point here that I think is really important because you as a lay woman in the church, I think, bring an important perspective to this conversation. You said that you've had a really positive experience with Holy Cross, but that hasn't always been the case with some of your colleagues. Where can we bring hope to that conversation of lay and ordained working together? What have been some of the the things that have worked in your relationships and ministry with lay and ordained that you think could help this conversation? That's a great question, Dan, and I think it's so relevant to where we are with our church. When it comes down to it, like in any organization, the leader sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And so if you're working in the church, you know, the priest leader sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And so I just happened, I mean, a couple of times I've had some chant, like the parish I talked about, their first, um, my first job. The Norbertine priest, he, he was okay. <laughs> he was a little challenging, I have to admit, yeah. in that he wanted to run. He had a lot of power, and he would like, kind of squash some ideas. Now, I was young and naive and 22, so I was, you know. <laughs> but in hindsight, we did not have a collaborative relationship, mm-hmm. and I could have easily gotten really um, disappointed and not wanted to do ministry anymore if I would have let him get to me because I had other experiences. And to your point of, okay, what can we do? I, it's how, how people receive each other. Mm. So as a lay woman, I'm not a threat. I'm not a, 
I want to use my gifts for the good of of the church mm-hmm. and for that. And I want the priest who I work with to trust that I'm not there to <laughs> to have more power or authority that, but but to have appropriate role as whatever position I have. Sure, sure. And for him, you know, and I want to respect what his role is and to give you know in that as well. So it is important that there, <laughs> there is a communication and a respect and a, an understanding that the greater good is God's kingdom that we're building together. Yeah, it's yeah. not about who's got more power and all that kind of stuff. And our egos can get in the way. So I really, I think that's really important. And there are flawed lay people, there are flawed priests and religious that that sometimes that's unfortunately can overshadow a good re- potential working relationship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks. That's a helpful perspective. You said that for the first 13 years you were doing the RCIA, but you've been called to do some other things in campus ministry. Can you explain to us some about what you do now in campus ministry? Yes. Again, I, I don't want to sound so Pollyanna, but when I look back, it's like like after about 13 years, I was getting a little tired of RCIA. I was like, you know, in terms of, you know, Sunday mornings, you know, I love it and I love the Basilica, but it was like, okay, I might need a little change here. And I thought, oh, I'd have to leave Notre Dame if this happens. And I remember talking to Father Warren. He goes, well, let's take a look at what other things we could do. I mean, so it was just, yeah. so I had some reiterations in ministry, but where, where I'm at now, about four years ago, Father Pete McCormick, when he became the director, he came about seven years ago, a couple of years into it, he's like, Tammy, I, as we saw the needs of grief ministry, spiritual direction, the pastoral conversation students were looking for. And yeah. that he goes, I, I remember we went out to Rocco's one night <laughs> and he grabbed a napkin and a pen and he started drawing, of, we started talking about campus ministry and organizationally and what we, how we're doing and what, you know, what we started dreaming. He goes, I think, Tammy, I want to offer something to you. I think we need a pastoral branch of campus ministry okay. and i think you're the person to do this and i went what this, i was shocked only because this would be my dream you know yeah. and he's like i think we all these needs that are coming about i think needs attention and we had a staff chaplain a faculty chaplain lgbtq ministry these things need attention mm-hmm. so he goes i'm throwing you the pastoral care ball and i want you to run with it and see what you can do and that's what i mean by having opportunities like this that Pete had the trust in me and I want I I don't want to say I knew what I was doing I, I mean I'm it, it was a lot of hard work a lot of good people I had a lot of conversations with colleagues in McWell in the counseling center you know our care consultants that helped me shape of and understand what our students may need from a faith perspective uh-huh. at this time so that started and we've kind of built that out so that's where I'm where I'm at right now. Yeah. And what has been the response of students? Do you get a sense that this is really meeting their needs well? Yes, I I hope so. I have to be honest. I want to be humble enough to say I mean I hope so. I don't you know, of course we'd love to have 8,000 undergrads coming through our for spiritual direction, although we couldn't handle that. But anyway, yeah, from the response from the spiritual direction, we have something called need to talk from five to seven every night. We just created that a couple years ago. And we just said, let's see, let's have a campus ministry available just to see, because counseling center was getting overrun. I mean, sure. it was just a lot. And we average one to two conversations. And Dan, <laughs> it's such a grace. Cause you never know who's going to come through. It ranges from my roommate. I, I, I think I got to change roommates, talking mm-hmm. that to faith crisis, yeah. to relationships i mean it is just or trying to understand the catholic church it's it's students who need to talk about this stuff yeah. so one of us is on duty and and do that so those are the kinds of things and to me that show kind of like the health like we're kind of make moving we're not moving major things because it's one at a time but i think where we are in our church and where the students are it is one sheep it's kind of like pope yep. francis it's kind of like okay just we, we encounter people one by one, uh-huh. and that's kind of what, in terms of pastoral care, we've been able to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds very promising in terms of meeting those students' needs. I do want to turn to holiness, as that is the primary theme of our podcast. Who have been some of the mentors of faith to you that you really have seen as holy people in your life? Two people, Dan, come right to mind immediately. One would be my mom. 
Uh, my mom was a convert to Catholicism from Lutheran, mm-hmm. from the Lutheran Church. And she said she had her conversion while ironing. And if you knew my mom, all she did was iron. She had six kids, and my mom ironed everything. And we're like, of course, mom. That, but right after she married my, right before she married my dad, she said she was ironing, and just had this feeling over her, like I want to join the church. So anyway, yeah. that was way back when. And then she was just this wonderful, kind, funny woman, mm-hmm. humble, and kept our family just organized and just wonderful. So Mm -hmm. for her, what I take from my mom is just the love of our family. And we, when I think my siblings were all very close and now they have kids and we just look at, it's like we always say mom's spirit and dad's too is is with us. And they taught us how to be a family and Mm. stuff. So that was important. She was just always there when we needed her. And then the second one is going to, it's a Holy Cross priest and he will die of humiliation if he hears this, is John Herman. John Herman right now is the rector of Moreau Seminary. Mm-hmm. I met John at the hot dog tent my very first August here, 1998. Okay. Jim Lease introduced us and said, you need to get to know you know know each other. And John, I believe, was the rector of O'Neill okay. at the time. Okay. And he continues, and I, we, our friendship grew, and he you know went to Arizona and then worked at St. John Vianney and now he's back here and, or he went, and went to Monterey. But John, you just, it radiates goodness. And when you think of the vows that these guys take, I don't see anyone who honestly lives it more authentically or tries to mm-hmm. than John Herman. He mm-hmm. is, you know, and we have just good talks and he just wants to just be a good priest. And mm-hmm. he's always the one that will be needing someone needs an extra confessor or someone needs a retreat talk or he just always goes the extra mile in his own humble way and i just am very inspired by him Mm. and that so when i think of holiness for him his holiness is being authentic to what he's committed his life to and exemplifying it like i don't think he's missed a community night Uh you know at moreau and those kinds of things because he's wants to be a witness to those young men what this is all about Mm -hmm. and i just find that really incredible yeah that fidelity to their callings of your mom's calling as a woman of faith and her calling to her marriage and and being a mom and Father John's calling in the way that he's founded, I think that fidelity is really inspiring to uh, to all of us. How have you tried to stay faithful to your own calling, especially the call to holiness? I, it's something I, I like to say. I try to recommit to every day, Dan, in my morning prayer, mm-hmm. morning time, kind of reset the button <laughs> and go. Okay, today is a new day and thanking God for this new day. And to be faithful, I, I, you know, one of the highest values that I, I try to have is integrity. And to me, integrity means your behavior matches your words. Sure. And so that's very important to me. And and also, to I try to live as close to the gospel as I can in terms of generosity and forgiveness and all those gifts of the Spirit and that, that should animate our lives. And so not perfect. I, and when I do make mistakes in that, I, I do want to own them and mm-hmm. work through them and understand and to pick up myself again and get back on the road. So, so to me, it is always each morning rebooting, re- resetting my center for what's important for that day is what grounds me mostly. In that, and I always one other thing is, not everyone gets the opportunity, but hopefully some form of this is, I do try to do an eight-day silent retreat every year. I've done that for twenty-some years, and that that is my key. Like I usually do it in May, right after I see the my the beautiful students leave. I (laughs) love them, but it's okay to see them take a little break. And I go, you know, to usually a, a retreat center for eight days. And I, I, and I mean this with love, I shut up and listen yeah. to God. Yeah. I just shut it down and, and just listen and try to process what's happened and where I'm going. And I've done that, and that has, along with the monthly spiritual direction over the years, I think has helped me stay 
as a woman of integrity or, and you look at yourself in a mirror for that long, you see the bumps and bruises yeah. along with the good yeah. stuff and it's okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, for sharing your story, allowing us to listen to this inspiring life and witness, uh, especially all the students that you've touched in 23 years plus of ministry here. I'm sure there are countless offshoots of your ministry and God's grace working through through you. So I'm so excited to share that uh, with our Notre Dame family and hopefully a lot of people who know you get to hear this podcast and laugh along with us. So thanks so much, Tammy, for being a part of this today. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. I agree. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. To be made aware of future episodes of the podcast, we'd welcome you to subscribe to any service of your choosing, including our daily gospel reflection at faith.nd.edu slash sign up. We always let our audience know about new episodes of the podcast, as well as share with them a daily reflection from a member of the Notre Dame family. For now, we thank you for being with us, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.